In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about the surrealness of suddenly finding yourself traveling in the weird world of breast cancer and discovering the trappings of a, quote, regular breast cancer experience don't feel quite right. You're hearing today's episode a few weeks before we release our annual body issue. This year, I wanted to really focus the body issue on the notion of changing landscapes be they medical landscapes in which treatment options are shifting, such as we are witnessing right now with the deep flap crisis in the U.S., or the personal landscape of the body and how changes to the body influence our identities. Today's story begins with wig shopping. Breast cancer treatment for many begins with chemo to arrest any tumor growth or cancer spread. And so hair loss is the first great shift to the landscape of the body following diagnosis for many of us. Anyone who has unwittingly lost hair, be it due to cancer treatment or another reason, knows it was never just hair. And by the same token, a wig, a hat, or a scarf are never just a wig, a hat, or a scarf. My guest today is Megan McCallum. Megan is a freelance writer and a French-to-English translator living in Wisconsin. Since her diagnosis of stage 3 triple negative breast cancer at 32, Megan has taken an active role in the cancer community to share stories and resources. She says she strives to support conversations around cancer and empower others to advocate for their own health and well-being. And she deeply believes in the power of vulnerable storytelling. You're a kindred spirit, Megan. Welcome to The Burn. Thanks so much for having me, April. I'm really happy to be here. I'm excited you're here too. So you are reading a piece you wrote called This is Cancer. This was uh, published in our Cancer Culture issue as well as in our book, Igniting the Fire Within, which just came out in 2022. After you read, we will chat. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Megan, I'll let you take it away. This is Cancer. Candace, Phoebe, Claudia, Olivia. They're all staring up at me, smiling and confident. I peer down at them, bright under, under the fluorescent glow. What are they so cheery about? I can't stand looking at their gleaming white teeth and twinkling eyes, their pastel-colored cardigans. You have no fucking clue, I think. My life has just blown up. And you think you can actually help me feel better? You have no idea who I am and what I'm going through. 
A grandma wig is not going to fix this. I imagine tearing off Madeline's necklace and watching the pearls scatter across the cold hospital floor. I continue flipping through the thin pages of the catalog, unconvinced. The little interest I had is dwindling, despite Cheryl's enthusiastic prompting. I know that she's trying to help, and she does care, even though this is part of her job. Though, come to think of it, I'm not sure what exactly Cheryl's job is here at the Cancer Center, besides helping me find a wig. She's a friendly, chatty woman, probably in her 50s. Her hair is dyed red and choppy, significantly more contemporary than the styles modeled in the catalog. Her cheeriness is a mild distraction from the gloom of my reality. Even though we're at the hospital, I don't associate Cheryl with chemo and blood draws, which is more than I can say for just about everyone here. I know that Cheryl is trying to get me feeling excited about something, anything. Maybe she can pull me out of the dark hole of my diagnosis, however temporarily. She wants to help me find confidence in some future version of myself. She encourages me to find my new look now, before handfuls of long, strawberry blonde hair start lingering on pillowcases and congregating at the bottom of the shower. Paging through the sea of sandy blonde pixies and gray bobs in the wig catalog, I know that I'm an outsider. This isn't me. I don't belong here. This isn't supposed to be happening. I close the catalog and look over at Cheryl. She's scrawling on a post-it, noting styles and colors for me to try. How about Amelia in glazed strawberry? she suggests, handing me the sticky note. That would be so cute on you. The walls of her small workspace, a storage closet-type room, are outfitted with shelves. They're lined with wig stands, samples, and donated items from patients who no longer need them. I'll keep looking and think about it, I offer, sticking the post-it to the front of the catalog. I know it's not what she was hoping to hear. Somehow I feel like I'm letting Cheryl down. Maybe I should just choose a wig and be done with it. Leaving the storage room, I thank Cheryl for her help and head over to my chair. The drugs are ready. They've been carefully measured and dispensed into their plastic bags, adorned with large yellow warning labels. Biohazard. Chemotherapy. Toxic. The thing is, I don't feel cute, and I don't want to perform a charade of brave cancer fighter. Just a few days ago, I had arrived at the infusion area in tears, pleading for something to make the room stop spinning. I was already fed up and feeling helpless after just one round of chemo, knocked down and barely able to stand. How was I supposed to do 15 more? In my barely hanging on state, trying to look cute, more specifically, trying to look like I don't have cancer, is not even remotely a priority.
So far, I've been trying to do this right. I've dutifully gone along with the wig browsing and the manual reading. You get breast cancer, and then you get the breast cancer manual. Here's how to have breast cancer. You get your chemo, you feel sick, you get more medication. Your hair falls out, you start wearing a wig, you are tired. Your doctor monitors your blood work, you meet with, with surgeons. You decide what kind of breast implants you want. You have your mastectomy, you learn how to manage your drains. You get radiation, only a few minutes every day. You are more tired. Here are some stories of women who have been through it, just like you. They are fine. But I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not just like them. I'm 32 years old. My life's just getting started. This is not okay. The cancer manual comes with an, imp comes with an implicit message. Here's how to manage this privately. People outside of cancer land don't like to see or hear what cancer is really like. Don't show them your struggle. Don't talk about it. Be brave. Put on your wig and smile. Make people comfortable. This is not okay. I'm settled into my chemo chair for the multi-hour infusion process. A nurse wearing head-to-toe protective clothing comes by to flush the port in my chest with saline. She carefully connects my port access line to the bag hanging from the IV pole. I accept her offer of a heated blanket and snacks. The packet of saltine crackers and juice box sit on a plastic tray attached to the chair's armrest. I look down at the wig catalog again the post-it note stuck over the face of the cover model. There is no one right way to have cancer, I realize. This hits especially hard as I look around the infusion area and I'm reminded that I'm at least 20 years younger than everyone else here. I have to do this my way, I decide. That's the only way I'm going to get through this. I'm determined to figure out exactly what it means for me as a 30-something, as an individual mourning my pre-cancer identity, to be going through breast cancer. It takes time, but piece by piece, I learned to make this experience my own. I took the manual and catalog away, instead seeking out others my age to share our lived experiences. We don't want to be in hiding and we don't want to play by any one rule book. We bear our scars, fears, and secrets to one another. We hold hands and cry together. We post our realest of real stories on Instagram, showing the world what cancer really looks like. Within weeks, we go from strangers to sisters. Fuck cancer, we collectively scream. I shave my head a few days before my third chemo appointment. It's January in Wisconsin, and we're in the middle of a polar vortex. The city has shut down, and the roads are empty, except for those whose life actually depends on leaving the house. I can feel the Arctic wind blowing through every hole in my knit hat 
as I walk across the sprawling parking lot. Entering the hospital, I remove my hat and cross the lobby with my bald head bared for all to see. I carry my own bag of chemo supplies, a giant thermos with herbal tea, cans of LaCroix, jars of nuts and dried fruit. I wear a cozy shawl and brightly colored earrings. I look up YouTube videos on how to tie fun head wraps. Along with library books, this will keep me occupied in the chemo chair until I pass out from my meds. Later, I'll post a picture celebrating another round of chemo down. I'm getting through this. This is cancer. It's not comfortable and it's not cute. It's real. So, so powerful. Thank you, Megan. Thank you for that. Yes, of course. So let's take a quick break here. We'll let you catch your breath. And when we come back, we will dig into it. Hey there, I'm April and I'm joined for a moment by my teammate, Emily Purcell, to tell you about something really big we've been working on behind the scenes. As you know, there's a wildfire book out in the world. We worked really hard on this book and we are just loving the reception it's been receiving. The book is an anthology, a best of wildfire. It's what I like to call 50 under 50. That's 50 personal essays from people diagnosed with breast cancer under 50, taking us deep into their lives post-diagnosis. We called the book Igniting the Fire Within, and it's really powerful. But what would make it even more powerful is to hear those essays directly from the writers themselves, their own voices, their own inflections, reading their own words. Many of them have already joined us here on The Burn as our guests, and likely you've heard them here and there. We're going to do this one better for you, though. There is now a special mini limited series offshoot of The Burn podcast called Igniting the Fire Within. It features just the essays from the book read by the authors. Think of it as your free audiobook of this incredible anthology. Subscribe to The Burn so you don't miss this very special audio broadcast of Igniting the Fire Within. New mini episodes drop each Friday. And if you don't have the book yet, pick it up on Amazon today. Hi, my name is Ellen Roberts. I live in Indiana and I was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer at age 31 in 2009. I recently attended a free wildfire pop-up writing workshop for the young breast cancer community. Each workshop done by April of wildfire is transforming. I learn more about myself. I feel safer in my body. The group holds a safe space to share openly and uncensored. My experience and thoughts feel affirmed and valid. Each is like a really good therapy session. I laugh, I cry, and I begin to heal more wholly. All right. Thank you so much for that lovely testimonial, Ellen. Here we are turning back to you, Megan. Thank you again for your powerful, powerful writing. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure to read it and thank you for publishing it. Absolutely. And um, we can do one better than that because we are airing this in May, but you and I are actually recording this in March and in February, I got to see you. So we'll roll back the time a little bit and I got to see you in Charlotte where you read this story to a live audience as the first stop on our book tour. First, you were the first reader of the Charlotte reading, but you were actually the first reader of the entire book tour. So 
um, all the accolades to you. Thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> it was an honor to be included. And just what a what a magical night that was so special to to share that moment with everybody and to gather together in person. It was incredible. It really was. Um, and for anyone who wasn't there, the format of it was that we were in this really cute little uh, like clothing boutique, I guess you would say, like a kind of a lifestyle shop. And they set up some chairs for us. There was Prosecco on tap and these awesome cookies. Like, I mean, it was such a like cozy little environment. And then Megan, along with three others, stood up and read the most vulnerable, heartfelt breast cancer stories to an audience that laughed and cried and just, I think, felt really seen by way of someone else's story, which is is what it's all about, right? Like, that's the thing. That's the, the gold of it all. Yeah. It was really cool. It was, yeah, just such an unforgettable evening. And to be, to be in that space with people who, you know, we've read each other's stories, we're hearing them live. I mean, there's just nothing, nothing beats that. I don't think so. So in your bio, you said that you're a fan of, I forget exactly how you said it, but you're, you're really into vulnerable storytelling as am I, is this, is, is reading it in front of the audience, like part of that vulnerability or can you tell me what, what that definition for you personally is? Yeah. Well, I think an example of that for, for me in this story that I just read actually is that line saying that, um, I don't want to make people comfortable um, making, you know, covering up my my struggles or, um, you know, not not speaking about how hard it really is for me. That's um, that's actually going out of my way to to make other people comfortable at my own expense. So to me, it's I really turn to vulnerable storytelling as a way to um just allow myself that space to to acknowledge what I'm going through in a in a real way that that doesn't make me feel forced to hold anything back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, that really resonates for me, and I find that it's a little bit of a um, a dance between telling your truth, but also telling it in a way that isn't wounding the person who's hearing it. And I think see if you agree with this, but I think part of that is continuing the story to the transformation. And, you know, you're taking the listener or the reader on this journey during which maybe there's a lot of pain and heartbreak, but ultimately then showing like, here's where I am now. It's not, isn't designed to put a cozy little like spin on it or the, you know, the like, thank God I got cancer kind of like vibe or anything. It's just, you know what, like I'm, I am going to be okay. And this is what my brand of okay looks like. I see you nodding. Is that, is that what you would say too? Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. And I think, um, it, yeah, it is very much important to me to, to acknowledge that, yeah, you know, things, things have improved. I'm doing, you know, I feel really great right now. And here's, here's everything I'm thankful for in the present. And I think, um, it's all, they're all components of the story. So I'm more than happy to tell people, you know, people who want to check in and say, oh, you're, you seem to be doing great. Like, how, how are things going? And absolutely, I, I want to appreciate that and, and express that to people that I'm doing well. But another part of the story is, you know, here are all the difficult parts that, 
that took me to where I am today. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I like that it's kind of this like both thing because you're reminding me of, um, when I was kind of just getting into the healing power of storytelling and starting to tell my story. And for me personally, it was kind of a long journey to a space of being able to do that because I grew up in a house that was like everything that happens in this house has to stay in this house and you're not allowed to talk about it. So I reached this place where I was like, actually for my own survival, I have to tell these stories and I need to be witnessed. And for a little while, I was just like lobbing story grenades at anyone and everyone. And I didn't care if they were just like wrecked from me needing to say my truth out loud. And fortunately, I've come to this other place of like, okay, and then this is what I did with that horrible thing that happened to me. Um, but for a while, I, it was just like literal drive-bys with me and my storytelling for a while. Cause I just, I guess I just needed that. Um, did you go through any stage like that? Or have you been telling stories your whole life, telling personal stories your whole life? That's a, I mean, it was, it's really interesting to hear, hear your perspective on that. And it's, um, you know, growing up and even well into adulthood, um, similarly to what you described, I, I never really had a, an outlet to talk about difficult things in life. And I'd been through quite a lot of difficult life circumstances even before cancer came along. But I never really, it just never occurred to me or it was never really an opportunity for me to express these kinds of things and talk about them. And so I think when um, when my cancer diagnosis arrived and, you know, as, as I describe in the story, treatment just right off the bat was incredibly difficult. That's when it kind of um, blew, like, the lid blew on everything because I realized that it just, it wasn't going to work in a sustainable way for me to not talk about things. And so actually that was a turning point for me to start talking about quite a lot of things and not just cancer. Um, but it, it was a process of almost trial and error, kind of like what, what you described where I, I had to figure out what's the best kind of approach or um, I, I certainly don't want to censor myself, but I need to have kind of an awareness of who I'm talking to and what I'm disclosing to whom. And, you know, um, it's been a lot of kind of ups and downs with regulating that over the past few years, now that I am kind of coming forward with a lot of things that I do want to talk about more openly. Um, yeah, so I've, I've had some instances where I just kind of explode at somebody, um, you know, explaining my story and I realized that it wasn't quite the right um, time. And I just kind of, kind of learned to adjust from there. It's true. It's true. It's, and I think it is really important to always honor yourself, you know, and stand in your truth and all of that. But it's also, it, it's, it's a little bit of our responsibility as storytellers to read the room and to know, you know, who our audience is and what is an appropriate audience for which version of our story. But what I think that we don't ever have to do is fall into the toxic positivity. And, and I kind of wanted to talk to you about this because I have a feeling you have some feelings <laughs> around this. But, you know, you said in your story, you said, the thing is, I don't feel cute. And I don't want to perform a charade of brave cancer fighter. 
And I love that you brought this notion of performative breast cancer into your story and and by way of that into our conversation today, because there is an aspect of it that is happening in, you know, mainstream media and certainly in social media. And I think that it's... um, it's maybe an offshoot of the battle language that comes up around cancer too. And we think like, okay, I'm supposed to be this warrior. Like there's this idea of what a breast cancer fighter looks like. And you definitely alluded to this as well. And I'm just wondering if there was a part of you that, that kind of bought into it. Maybe, you know, when you were looking through that catalog of like, well, maybe I am supposed to fake it till I make it. Like, isn't that, isn't that the message? Um, And so I'm wondering I guess my question is how you feel about the battle language and performative breast cancer at this point. And and if you agree that it's a thing. Yes, absolutely. I absolutely agree that performative breast cancer was an issue for me personally. And in this story that I read, it was the the wig catalog and this manual, literally the breast cancer manual that I got from my hospital. And flipping through both of those, which were kind of the, you know, the main materials I received from my healthcare team, um, those really um, gave me this message about like how I was supposed to look and act as, a, as somebody going through breast cancer. And I really didn't see myself. And it, it was, with the wig catalog specifically, it, it was also an age thing where Clearly, these wigs were not made for a 32-year-old, and I just didn't like any of them. Um, But it was also, like, the faces of the models. They looked really happy, and the people in this catalog were, it just, it wasn't, um, it wasn't speaking to me, and I didn't feel seen in either of those materials. And that's what made me realize that um, there is... There's something to be said for um, acknowledging that you can express your your challenges, and then it's not there isn't just one way to to go through this. And I just I realize this, especially with those materials from the hospital, that um, there there's a lot of work that could be done in making um, making those kind of support services and information much more um, diverse in terms of age and just everybody who might be facing that diagnosis. It seemed like just a very, um, a very small category of, of people represented in those, in those materials. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think that you're hitting on something that is going to kind of rock the landscape of breast cancer, which is that we're being diagnosed younger. And I think a different generational approach to breast cancer is going to mean, you know, questioning what some of those materials are suggesting. It's going to mean, uh, in some cases, uh, a population that doesn't resonate with the pink. You know, there's just a lot of what breast cancer has traditionally looked like that is going to be shifting. I mean, already is shifting, but you know, I'm, I'm thinking about older generations and, and I fall a little bit into this, you know, but it feels like older generations of women who maybe face breast cancer and, and men too, 
where we had just such reverence for the white coat. So then when you get handed a, a manual that's like, this is breast cancer, if you're a rule follower, um, I'm a uh, reforming <laughs> rule follower myself, like then you go, okay, even if this doesn't feel comfy, like this is the way it's supposed to be. Are you, are you not a rule follower? Are you always questioning? I actually, well, I call myself a recovering perfectionist. So <laughs> kind of in there the same go. boat. <laughs> I'm very much learning to, you know, question where appropriate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's a lot of places for questions in, in illness, I think in general, but, uh, you know, specifically in the breast cancer community. Um, so I want to ask you, our time is starting to dwindle, um, but I know that you're a writer. So what are you working on these days or where is writing taking you right now? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I always have several things floating around in my brain and it's it's been interesting with chemo brain, especially because I need to write. I need to physically write things down the second, the soonest possible second I can, because sometimes I'll have the greatest writing idea and I'm it'll it'll be gone and it'll take me several days to get back to it. So I'm learning to actually physically write these ideas down. But um, right now I am working on kind of branching out into um, like shifting that audience, like I was saying before. Um, I absolutely love writing within the breast cancer community and I fully intend to do as much of it as I can. But I also want to extend that a little bit further into audiences that are... Um, maybe aren't quite familiar with breast cancer and want to hear kind of about, about life and, and other aspects of that that are part of my identity that, um, you know, breast cancer not being the number one focus of, of any one piece, but certainly being part of my identity and being part of a story. So um, I'm working on kind of expanding a little bit in terms of who, who I'm writing for, but I'm so, so happy to be in the breast cancer community too. So I'm not intending to uh, stop writing about breast cancer specifically. I think that's great. Um, because what you're kind of hitting on is something that, that I have found, you know, I'm 11 years out this year from my diagnosis and certainly having experienced cancer is a part of just the makeup of who I am. And I can't, deny that part of me, but it's definitely shifting in terms of like top of mindness. And, you know, it's become part of, um, obviously the entrepreneurial part of myself is now intertwined with a cancer diagnosis, but it's interesting what you're talking about because cancer is always going to be kind of in the background and influencing certain decisions or maybe kind of playing part in some of the conversations I have, but it doesn't always have to be like, here's my breast cancer story. It's just woven in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Megan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you again for reading your story. I've heard and read your story so many times and it always like different parts of it hit for me. So again, thank you for that and for reading it aloud to us again today. Thanks so much for having me, April. You're so welcome. Where can people find you online or read more of your writing? Yeah, so I am on Instagram at ThriverWriter. And then I have a profile or portfolio type website at thriverwriter.com. Excellent. Thank you. We will be sure to link to everything. 
Thanks, Megan. So for those of you listening, you can find Megan's piece that she just read in the 2022 issue of Wildfire called Cancer Culture. For our subscribers, that is in the library. And for everyone else, you can also find her story in Igniting the Fire Within, our book, which is out everywhere. (laughs) If you're a listener to this podcast, you know it's everywhere. It's on Amazon. It's on my website. So thank you so much. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our rich 40-plus issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There is no place on the planet like a Wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. Finally, here is your writing prompt. This is a two-parter. I want you to set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing. I want you to create a list of moments, big or small, that stick with you. Moments, big or small, that have stuck with you. And don't question why they're there in your brain, just jot them down. So that's the first eight minutes. And then I want you to select one from the list and write the story behind it, focusing on how it made you feel and any questions that still linger about that moment. Set your timer again for eight minutes on that one, telling that story. Do you find the blank page daunting? Well, I do believe that a good writing prompt is just the thing you need to dive in and begin to tell your most important stories. So beyond this podcast, there are more prompts available to you on the Wildfire website. Head to wildfirecommunity.org free to download the free guided journals full of prompts that I created just for you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.